St. Paul says, Death, where is your sting? Christians believe in the resurrection of the body. Christians hope in the reality of heaven. But how can this authentic Christian hope exist alongside such sadness and feelings of loss when someone we love dies? Two of the most striking words in the entire Bible are, Jesus wept. Even this eternal God, who became man, wept over the death of his dear friend Lazarus. Walk with us as we explore death and the feelings of loss by those of us left behind. I am Edward Herrera, and this is How We Grieve. As we've been recording How We Grieve, I've realized that one dimension that keeps coming up is how parents and caregivers can talk to children and help them process suffering and loss. As a father myself of three small children, I encounter this question often. To help our audience think about this question, we'll follow a little different format in this episode. We've always asked parents about death, but today we thought we would send out our producer Jay Lampart to get kids' thoughts on the subject. What do you think heaven is like? It's like dead people in heaven. I think it's like something, I don't know. I think it's where God forgives people's sins and other people that our souls are in heaven. That's all. What's heaven like? Pizza. I think it's like saints and um, people who died in the very higher than space in the sky. Heaven is where saints go and dead people's souls go and so. We now go to a talk by Dr. Pat Fossarelli about talking with children about death. Also, I should mention that Dr. Fossarelli, besides being a physician and holding a doctorate in ministry, her class on bereavement is actually part of what inspired the recording of How We Grieve. Dr. Pat Fossarelli. As a pediatrician, I've always been touched by the way children grieve. And children grieve in so many different ways. Adults often think that children cry or children are sad, but there are so many other ways that children grieve. I really realized that when I was working in the pediatric AIDS clinic. And children would grieve because other children in the clinic had died or had gotten sicker. And the ways they grieved, even though it was the same event, that other child getting sick, that other child dying, um, was markedly different for each child. So I'd like to talk about the kinds of things that children grieve about, and I'd like to talk about the ways children manifest their grief and what we can do to help them. Children grieve for a lot of things. Uh, Losses are losses, whether you're four years old, whether you're 40 years old. But sometimes the losses that children experience, we adults might not think of as so serious. For instance, a young child might 
just fall apart when the goldfish dies and is inconsolable, but yet the adult is like, it's just a fish, we can get you another one. Yet for the child, this was a living thing to which the child had some kind of relationship. So losses in general are the kinds of things that children grieve, and they may grieve them in dramatic ways, they may grieve them quietly, they may grieve them in angry ways, they may grieve them just in quiet, meditative kind of ways, but it's grief nonetheless. The youngest children, infants and toddlers, will grieve by getting very quiet or very cranky. They just are not themselves. So if mom or dad is hospitalized, let's say, the parent has not died but is hospitalized, the child may just refuse to eat. He may just sit and suck his thumb. He may just whine all the time. He may not be able to sleep. All of those things are the way young children express their grief because they cannot speak. They don't have the language to say, where's dad, where's mom, this is scary for me. And so that kind of nonverbal grieving is very authentic for that age group, and it's something that has to be taken account of. When children act differently from their usual way of acting, it's always a flag to see what's going on and why it's going on. Once children come to the preschooler level, and that would be around the ages three to five, they've got language to talk about what's going on. So they will be able to say, I'm really sad that Johnny moved away, or I'm really sad that daddy isn't home more, or I'm really sad that the new baby was born, and I don't like that. And for us as adults, we would be kind of flabbergasted like, you're grieving because there's a new baby? But it is. If he was the only child and now this new little baby comes in, parents' attention is divided. Parents' attention is now maybe even more so focused on the new baby because of all the new baby's needs. And so that would be something that parents should not reprimand the child for, but to try to help understand what the grief is about. But certainly the things that children grieve about the most are death. They don't understand death as final at this age. Why? Cartoons show characters getting plowed over and then they pop back up again. And so young children in three to five don't really have the understanding that death is irreversible. True, if they have experienced death in a pet, in a close relative, and know that that pet or relative has not returned, they have a better sense that it's irreversible, but they don't have the sense that it's irreversible in the absence of any experience with death. The preschoolers, for the most part, will cry and be sad, little boys and little girls. Sometimes they'll just take out their frustrations on playing harder or running around and screaming and yelling and parents will say what has gotten into you why in the world are you acting like this this is the way the child is processing what's going on sometimes they go outside and just want to sit by themselves sometimes they're very clingy and just are afraid to let significant adults 
out of their sight, which is always, again, another flag to kind of say, why is this a change of behavior? What's going on here? So for preschoolers, it's pretty much what we might expect, except some kids really do react in that angry, frustrated way that many adults react with as kind of a cover. Children are not covering it. They're not that sophisticated, but that's just what they're feeling. It's an anger, it's an anguish, and they don't know how else to express it. For elementary school age children, which would be from about kindergarten through fifth grade, so we're talking five to 10 years old, obviously their ability to think and process language is much, much higher than their younger siblings. And so they wanna talk about things. They wanna know what happened. And sometimes for some of these children, they have kind of a, what we would call as adults, an unhealthy interest in it. You know, is the body gonna decompose? Are the worms gonna get it? How long is that gonna take? And for adults, we are just absolutely freaked out by that because why do you need to know that? Well, one of the reasons they need to know it is they're learning so much in school. They learn about science. They're learning some of these other things and they just have an interest. They're not trying to be weird. They're just trying to understand it. And even though at this age, they may do something that we adults find entirely counterintuitive to what grieving is all about, um, it's still their way of processing it. And that counterintuitive way is laughter. They will often laugh when they hear grandma died, or they'll laugh when they hear a child in their class died. And adults are really frightened by this. They think, is this child gonna grow up to be um, some monster? Does this child not appreciate what's going on? In my experience, especially working a lot with dying children and the children who knew them and, and they're grieving for them, often laughter is just their cover. At this age, they're a little better able to cover it and they laugh like no big deal doesn't bother me no big deal but yet if you sit with those children and talk to them much more profoundly you find that they're very sad they're upset as much as the adults are except they're not necessarily shedding tears they're not necessarily walking around with sad faces what they are doing is pretending that it doesn't matter it doesn't hurt them this is especially true, and I hate to sound stereotypic here, but it's especially true with little boys, um, some little boys. Other little boys are just, just like everybody, they cry and, and are sad. Some little boys, either because of the way they're raised or their culture, will automatically act like it's no big deal, even if it's a significant person. It's the parent, it's the grandparent who has cared for them, who has died. They just act like it's no big deal so that almost they seem a little invulnerable, but they're vulnerable, all right, because when they can relax and talk to people, that's when it all comes out to them. So I guess in talking about these age groups from infancy to elementary school, the idea is to not take what's given at face value. Sometimes there's much deeper emotions than what seems to be at play. So what can you do for children? For all children, you can console them, you can hug them, you can offer to hold them, 
and to be there to talk to them whenever they want it. For the youngest children, one should do that. Keep the routines as close to normal as possible so that they're also not upset by the fact the routines are changed in addition to this beloved person or pet being missed. That's probably the biggest uh, piece of advice I could get. Keep the routines as normal as possible. For the preschoolers, sometimes they ask a lot of questions, other times they don't. When children ask questions, answer them to the best of your ability, but don't, in fact, presuppose that they want to know more than what, what they're asking. In fact, if they just say, how did grandma die? You just say, her heart stopped. They don't want to know more information. Well, she was in the hospital and the doctors couldn't do this and that. That's not what the child needs to know. Her heart stopped. She was very sick. Um, will my heart stop? Well, not anytime soon. You know, don't worry about that. You're a healthy little girl. You're a healthy little boy. That's going to be fine for you. So you answer the questions as they come up, and you don't presuppose their questions. Because some kids never have certain questions. Other kids have questions that go far beyond what we think they would understand. So you let the child be the lead. For the elementary school age child, I think that that's much more involved in that there will be a lot of questions. And you've just got to go with the flow. You've got to go with their questions. It's okay to say, I don't know if a child asks a question that in fact you don't know the answer to. If the child says, was grandma awake right before she died? Well, if you don't know the answer to that, don't fake it and don't say, well, I'm sure she was or I'm sure she wasn't. Why do you need to know that? It's really just to say, you know, I don't know that right now, but I'm happy to try to find out. But help me to better understand why that's important to you. It's that help me to understand why this is important that is kind of a hospitable way of asking the child to explain him or herself. If we just say something like, why do you need to know that? That sounds sarcastic. It sounds belittling. But if you say something like, help me to understand why that's important right now. Then you hear what the child's concerned about. I'm afraid that her eyes were open and she was awake and all of a sudden she died and she was really scared right before she died and I'd hate to think that happened to grandma. Well, that's a very different idea to address with the child than just some kind of weird interest that the child had about whether people die with their eyes open or closed. So for everybody, you try to answer the questions to the best of your ability. You let kids grieve the way they need to grieve, but you look for worry signs. And worry signs are that they're destructive, that they're going to hurt other people or hurt themselves, that they're talking about death way too much, not just asking about the person who died, but saying, you know, I wonder what it's like to be dead. I, you know, maybe I'll die one day. Those are all things that you should bring to the attention of the child's um, healthcare provider so that that person in you can discuss what's going on with your child and seek intervention if necessary. That's true for preschoolers as well as for elementary school age children. What do you think happens to a person when they die? You go to heaven. Your souls go away and your skin goes up to heaven. And and you go up to heaven and you sometimes I think you get buried. Uh, you might go to heaven. Um, 
You go to Jesus if you die. You still die. You still. You still die. Dr. Fossarelli, thanks for taking the time to talk with us about these things today. Before we get into the discussion, do you think you could share a little bit more about yourself? I have almost 40 years of experience as a pediatrician. I trained at the University of Maryland and have spent most of my professional life affiliated with Johns Hopkins. Sometimes I was full-time there, sometimes I'm half-time. Now I'm still on the part-time faculty at Hopkins. And that is where most of my clinical experience that I've described has occurred. And then after that, I got a doctorate in ministry. And specifically, I looked at the spiritual development of children in health and illness, because that really played into what I was seeing as a pediatrician and how chaplains and clergy didn't really know how to best minister to children when they were seriously ill. Dr. Fossarelli, you identified a couple of different age groups for children. Can you break that down a little bit more for us? So infants and toddlers are from birth through about 18 to 2 years of age. Some people would put toddlerhood up to two and a half years of age. Specifically, it's when children really don't have much language. And so we're having to interpret their grief through nonverbal ways of that they express themselves. Preschoolers are when they can talk. So for some kids, it might be as early as two and a half, but most of the time we think of it around three-ish to about five. The cutoff of five is because for most kids, five is the age that they go to kindergarten. And so kindergarten would start that elementary school age where K through five, so five years through 10 years, would be that age range. We asked children a little bit about death and got some interesting answers. Can you share a little bit more about how children process the suffering and the death that they may see? Preschoolers are always not very good at empathy. Um, sometimes, some preschoolers are excellent at empathy so that if they see someone or something suffering, they will suffer along with that butterfly or with that animal or with that human being. Once children are between the ages of five and 10 years, they are much more likely to be empathetic. They look at someone else and can say to themselves, how would I feel if this was going on? Preschoolers are so self-focused, they can't really get there. Whereas in school, we teach children, now think about other people, think about this, think about that. And so they really can start to put themselves, start to put themselves in other people's places. And that's why it's so incredibly important to build on that. But certainly certain sufferings scare children. The writhing in pain that they see sometimes in relatives who have, say, advanced cancer and have bony metastases, Uh, that would scare them because it's like the pain is a monster that their loved one can't get away from. And that would be scary. scary to a lot of adults, but it's certainly scary to children. I am Edward Herrera, and this is How We Grieve. 
More with Dr. Fossarelli after the break. I am Edward Herrera, and this is How We Grieve. Before the break, we were speaking with Dr. Fossarelli about helping children process suffering and loss. We now return to that conversation. You spoke a little bit about how children begin to experience kind of concern and empathy. How does this inform their thoughts on their own mortality? If young children, preschoolers, haven't ever seen death up close and personal, they've never had a pet die, they've never had a person close to them die, for them, it, this is an entirely new experience. They don't even think about asking, am I going to die? Because they don't have the language for it, they don't have the experience for it. Preschoolers, on the other hand, who have had that experience, will ask those questions and say, well, now grandma died, um, am I gonna die? What's more worrisome for the child is if it's someone closer in age to the child. So uh, it, in a clinic that I worked in once, there were twins and one twin died because the twin had a chronic condition, but the other twin did not. And so that put it even at four and a half, the healthy twin was now asking the questions that most four and a half year olds would not ask because he had lived with an ill brother who got sicker and sicker and sicker and then eventually died. As children begin to experience life and death, when should we introduce important Christian themes like heaven and the resurrection of the body? That's a very important question because we are people of faith and children have these questions. Children may ask, questions like, well, why did God take grandma away? If God, if God is the one who says we live or we die, why did God take grandma and why did God take grandma today? In this story that I just told, the little boy whose twin died, the healthy boy said, why did God want my brother and not me? And so these questions are going to come up and adults shouldn't be afraid of them. Specifically, I talk to preschoolers that their loved one is with God, uh, that their pet is with God, and just leave it alone. Children want to know that their loved ones are safe, that they're not experiencing more suffering. And at this young age, you can reassure them by saying that. For the elementary school age children, the five to 10 year olds, who have more sophisticated thought and may have a whole host of questions, they'll say things like, well, am I ever gonna see her again? Are you sure he's not suffering anymore? And I think we can reassure that after death, there is no more suffering because suffering is part of the physical body and the physical body is not what lasts after death. The soul and the spirit last, but not the physical body. Secondly, that they are safe with God. And the idea that God took somebody is a question that I've heard more often than not. And parents and other teachers who work with children in this age group need to be prepared for that one because it's like, why did God pick her to die? And we don't know the answer to that question. What we can say is God doesn't pick people to die. People are sometimes very ill. 
sometimes things happen that even God doesn't want. God doesn't want someone hit by a drunk driver and die. That's misuse of human free will. And at this age group, the elementary school age group, the five to 10 year olds, you can use that free will language because they're already starting to learn about it. But I would always reassure that God is there for their loved one and there for them. And that there's a lot of questions we don't know. We don't know exactly what we'll look like after death. Will it be a younger version of ourselves? Will it be the, the, what we looked like at the moment we died? We just don't know that. But we are reassured that we will see loved ones and we will be with God and it will be joyful and not suffering or sadness. Dr. Fossarelli, I have children in pretty much all of the age groups we're talking about. And sometimes they ask me very deep theological questions and just want a simple answer. But sometimes they're really thinking seriously about these things. How do we know the difference? As a pediatrician, and even as a pastoral minister when I worked in a parish, I would always assure a child I would answer the question to the best of my ability. But more often than not, I would say, that's a really good question. Help me to understand why that came up to you right now. Why do I do that? Why did I do that? I did it because I really wanted to see where they were coming from. Sometimes just answering a question doesn't really get at where the child is coming from. For instance, I had a child, this is in parish work, actually say to me that someone died because they were a big sinner. And this was a fourth, the fifth grader. And I said, help me to understand where that comes from. Well, other people that age don't die. So this person must have been a big sinner and being punished by God. And that's why they died. Well, if I hadn't asked that question, I wouldn't have gotten the theology behind the question. And I think that that's really important. Sometimes people who love a child a whole lot, parents, grandparents, caregivers, they don't want to hear this poor theology. And they're almost like, no, 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 no. Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. But it's so important to get behind the question to kind of say, why is this coming up? What's going on that you're thinking this way? Was the child told that the good die young only if they're not as good as we think? Um, Was the child told that God has a lottery and picks and chooses who dies on any given day. Those are unhealthy theologies. And it's up to those who care for a child to discover them and then gently talk to the child in the way that those individuals would know best how that is not the way things are. You said that children sometimes process very serious matters with laughter. Should we encourage them to process things beyond the laughter? Well, I would put laughter and angry, frustrated behavior in the same category. Children's frustration at not having answers, of not understanding what's going on, is just indicative of their developmental level. The same is with laughter. They don't really understand why things happen. They feel a little off kilter because this terrible thing happened. They'll never see grandpa again and everyone else is all crying and 
weepy and they are just like, what do I do with this? And so they go outside and kick a branch or start giggling with friends and running around and playing outside. And the adults are just very discouraged by that. I would encourage adults to see it a little differently, to see it as the attempt of someone with an immature mind and no matter how high a child's IQ is, emotionally, they're immature. That's what makes them a child. And to look at that a little differently and say, she's laughing because she's not quite sure what to do with this information and it's a little scary to her. Or he's throwing the ball hard against the house because he's so frustrated and he doesn't know how to make the frustration go away. What I encourage parents to do is to say a simple observation to the child, not, not, uh, how can you laugh at a time like this? Or how can you throw that ball down? To say something like, I see you're laughing right now. Um, Help me to understand what you think is funny right now. And interestingly, that question, help me to understand what you think is funny, said in a gentle, encouraging kind of way, will help the child say, I'm laughing because grandpa was always the one who ate breakfast and ate right and he wouldn't eat sweets and now he's gone. All right, well, that's something you can work with. It's not funny, but the child is seeing it as paradoxical that the person who ate the best in the family is now the person who's deceased. Similarly, with those who are acting out with throwing balls hard or being rough with doll babies or whatever that is, it's like, I see that you're throwing that ball awfully hard, or I see you're being much more rough with your doll baby than you usually are. Um, Help me to understand what's going on. And the child might say, I don't want to talk about it right now. And the parent should say, okay, but just know that I'm here and I always want to know what's going on and I'll help you. I'll answer any questions. I'll help you in any way I can. You leave the door open for children because at some level, they don't even know, in some cases, the questions to ask. I had a child once that said to me, why do I feel angry when everyone's crying? Well, they don't understand that that's the way they're processing it, yet this child's parents were reprimanding the child because there were no tears, but there was this anger. And so the the mother brought the child in, this is several weeks after the funeral, said, talk to Dr. Pat. And so he asked me that question, and then we could have a three-way conversation about that. Often I, and I imagine many of our listeners, have trouble knowing what to say or what to do when someone experiences loss. This feeling, I feel like, is even more magnified with a child. Can you share with me one thing that we can do, one thing that we can say, and maybe one question that we can ask them? I always say to every child, I'm so sorry. And that's it. I'm so sorry. Preschoolers and elementary school age children need to know that adults that they meet kind of know what's going on and that they're empathetic with what's going on. I'm sorry. And the child will usually just nod his or her head and say something like, yeah, it's really hard now that mom's not there. Okay, that's a window to go to your your third question, 
What question could you ask? When the child says something like that, the question is, do you want to talk about it? And if the child says, not right now, that's the answer. If the child says, can we? The adult invites the child uh, to do that. In terms of what to do, children are so different that you can ask what you might be able to do. But sometimes children will give you an answer that's not necessarily helpful. They might say things like, send me to Disneyland, which uh, most of us are not financially prepared to do. But I always kind of do a prelude to that question that says, you know, I'd like to be able to do something for you if I can. Is there something that I could do that would be something that you would like? And sometimes a child might just say, can I have one of the pieces of candy in your in the jar in your office? Okay. All right. Yeah, you can have a piece of candy. Um, can we talk a little more? Sure, we can talk a little more. Can I come back at another time and talk to you if I have more questions? Sure. So the mistake that adults make often with children, we make it with each other as well, is we say, oh, just ask me. I'll do anything for you. Well, we won't do anything and we can't do anything. Limitations of time, money, and our own lives preclude doing a lot of things for other people. So that's why I always tell children and adults, if it's within my power to do something, I'm happy to do that. If it's not within my power, I can't do it. I enjoy watching the news in the morning, but I generally don't because with three young children, I feel like watching it while they're running around the house will probably just result in a series of questions that I might not be ready to answer. So I guess my question is, how do outside forces affect children's grief? I think outside forces have a profound effect. I think they have a profound effect because they have an effect on the adults who care for the children and on the children themselves. In the example that you gave about the news, think about news. We often see the chalk marks around where the victim was. We hear reports about where they were shot or if a famous person dies, exactly what went on, who found the body, where the body was, and all this. So there's this morbid curiosity about certain things that we really don't need to know about. In in olden times, people didn't know about individuals who were far away from them. But I think it affects the adults as well, because if the adults really are into that kind of morbid curiosity, it shows a child that that's acceptable and that's good to want to know about all that stuff. If an adult is continually um, surfing the internet to try to find information about this famous person who died and how they died and how much drugs they had in them and what does that, you know, then children say, well, mom, dad does it, so it's okay for me to do it and it's the way to act like a grown up. And elementary school age children especially want to be grown-ups, and they take a lot of their leads from what we do. And so when they're surrounded, either in their homes or in their neighborhoods by people approaching things in different ways, they're going to think that that's normative behavior when, in fact, it's not normative behavior. I want to say one other thing before we close. Um, Parents should never be surprised at how children will grieve 
a celebrity. Like when Mr. Rogers died, kids went crazy. Or when Jim Henson, the Muppet creator, died, the children of that era just were so distraught about that. Now, those children don't know those individuals personally, but they know them through the experience of television or the now the internet, and children can really feel like they know somebody. The worst thing a parent can do is say, oh, you didn't know him. It's no big deal, because that then the child is like, I spent a half hour with this person every day, which might be more than they spend with the parents sometimes. Um, and that's really, you can never underestimate that importance. We talk a lot about screen time with kids these days. Does this affect their grief process? And should we limit the screen time to help them work through these things? There's really two answers to that. The first is that limitation of screen time is always a good thing. Children should be interacting with other kids and adults rather than just interacting with a tablet or a screen or a television set. But the other issue, and I found this out when I was working at Hopkins in a, in a clinic for children who were, had chronic condition that would lead to their death, they would type on the keyboard things that they heard us talking about and so now they're getting information from online and some of it is blogs, some of it is not good information, some of it's just rants and raves. And children would often become more frightened. It's interesting you brought this up because in this clinic in which I worked, one of the kids had typed in the medicine that her brother had been on before he died. And so she figured out what it was that killed him. And she was only eight years old, but a smart eight-year-old. And then started looking at that disease online and finding out all sorts of things. I mean, it's one thing to get a highfalutin scientific website that the child is gonna leave immediately because they don't understand any of the words. It's another to get into something that's a rant where the words are very much understandable. Uh, those people should all die. Those people, you know, they're too old to live. Those people should. And then the child then starts to internalize that because no one's paying attention of how much screen time there actually is. So I think that parents should always offer if the child wants to search for something to say, well, let's do it together. I, I, let's see what we find so that the parent can in a way do intelligent internet surfing to kind of say, yeah, this is just someone's opinion. And you know, opinions is just like, you like chocolate cookies better than vanilla cookies, but he likes vanilla cookies. That's just two opinions. One isn't really better than the other. So let's go to something that's not just opinion. That is enormously helpful because even a first grader understands what an opinion is. It's that I like this, you don't like this. And that helps. Preschoolers are a little young for that, but I would say elementary school age children, it's not too early to start. Dr. Fossarelli, just thank you so much for spending a little time with us today, talking a little bit about the way in which children grieve. Well, thank you, Edward. And it's sad that I have to talk about things like this. We all would prefer that children grow up healthy and joyful and not even have to think about the loss of anything. but. The world is as it is, and 
we as adults should be the best prepared we can be to help them through it. How We Grieve is hosted and written by Edward Herrera, with production help, original music, editing, and creative direction by Jay Lampart. Special thanks to our guests for sharing their stories of loss and hope. To learn more, visit our website, howwegrieve.org. This has been a production of the Archdiocese of Baltimore.